How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? Feeling alive? We're going to do something that I rarely ever do. We're going to start off uh, with a series. It's a, it's a two-week series. And in many ways today, I'm not even going to bring resolution to it. I'm going to leave it in a little bit of a cliffhanger for you, which means you're going to have to come back next week, or you will be lost, just completely lost as to what to do as a Christian. Guys, if this is your first time here, uh, let me just say welcome. This is High Point. Uh, technically, guys, in four days, we will be celebrating our third year as a church. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. God has done an extraordinary amount of things. What started off with a coffee at Jay Christopher's, then turned into a living room, then turned into a neighborhood clubhouse, then turned into a school. God has just continually brought people. We've continually seen people come to faith. We've seen people get baptized out in the parking lot. God is doing an incredible thing here. And it's not just here. We're a part of a ministry that's global. Where churches are being planted in, we're believing for every country on this planet to have a viable church. We're a part of that. It's called Every Nation. And we're so excited to be doing this with you and for us to be doing this together. Do this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to teach a little bit today. We're starting a two-week series and it's called Suit Up. Now, if you have ever seen the movie Incredibles, The Incredibles, I think it was my first date with my wife was I took her to see The Incredibles, and I let her know there's only one Mr. Incredible in her life, and it's right here. It's also Jesus. It's true. There's a moment where Samuel L. Jackson's character says, where is my super suit? Woman, where is my super suit? He's, there's an enemy on the prowl. He sees the enemy beginning to move outside through the window, and he pushes his secret button, and the, the panel flips around, and his suit is not where it should be, and he begins to yell for his beautiful wife. He's asking her, where, where's my suit? Where's my super suit? This idea that there is, there is an enemy that needs to be fought, and there is something that you should be putting on in order to do it. Suit up. You guys tracking with me already? It's going to be a fun two weeks. So here's my question for you today. Don't answer this out loud or you might get in trouble. When's the last time you wanted to just fight somebody? Think about it for a second. When is the last time you, you, you maybe, maybe you weren't really going to get into a, a fist fight, but you just, everything inside of you, you wanted to fight. You know what I'm talking about. Think about it for the. For, th- think about it for a second. Some of you have. Fa- some of you are literally was on the way to church today, with your friend or your spouse. Don't say it out loud. It happens. Some of you want to fight your children. That also happens. And I can promise you, some of your children want to fight you. Happens as well. Think about some of the situations that make us want to just come out of our shoes. Some of you, you know what it's like. Maybe you're in traffic and it's that guy who just cuts you off and then has the the audacity to be mad at you and is flipping you the bird and you just, you're ready for this guy to be nuked by God. 
Lord, send a lightning bolt. Do it now. You've got the neighbor. If you've got HOAs in your neighborhood and you might have that neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Where they just ride you on everything. And they report you on everything. They don't want to come talk to you about it. They just get you in trouble all the time. When we started the church at our house, in our living room, I mean, in everybody's defense, I guess they had a right to be mad, but we, we had cars outside our house, I mean, all the time. But nobody ever had the courage to just come ask me about it or talk to me about it. I'd just show up, letters would just be in my mailbox saying you're being fined or you're being this or this or that. Your neighbor, who will go unmentioned, <laughs> reported you. It's like... All right, I'm ready to throw down. Who's doing this? Think about this. Now, here, here's a real serious one, okay? Parents especially. You've ever talked to a mom or a dad who has a child that's being bullied? And you ask them what they'd like to do to that bully. I can promise you. They want to knock some sense. It doesn't matter if they're 30 years older than them. You want to fight. You want to throw down. You want to get a hold of that person's parent. And you want to give them a knuckle sandwich. This is how we live our lives. I'm not saying you should feel that way. I'm certainly not saying that you should enact on it. But these are some of the realities that we live with. We live in such a way where it's easy for people that you interact with to feel like you're enemies, and you want to put on boxing gloves and go to work. That's life. That is the world that we live in. But I want to propose something to you today. As we start an, a, a series, a two-week series called Suit Up, today's specific message is knowing your real enemy. Because Paul has something to say to us today in Ephesians chapter 6. I didn't even get into people that you work with. The person in the cubicle next to you who drives you crazy. The person who stole the credit of work that you did and is getting all the accolades and all the attention. We haven't even gotten into that yet. The boss that you just think is Satan leading that team. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, Paul says it like this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? Stand against Satan's schemes. You've got an enemy. He's plotting, and he's planning, and he's devious, and he is scheming. 
Now, Paul, if there's anybody outside of Jesus Christ in scriptures, there's nobody who can say what he just said with as much weight and force behind it as Paul. If you know anything about Paul, he wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. He is, he'd probably be mad if he was standing right here for, for me to describe him in such a fashion, but I referred to him as, the, as a rock star of the New Testament. I mean, God is doing miracles through him. We're seeing people healed. We're seeing churches established. We're seeing spirits driven out. People who are possessed getting free. We're seeing people come to faith, get saved. Leaders emerge. Everything that you want to see happen as a Christian is happening. But this amazing correlation would take place that when Paul would enter a city, you know what would oftentimes happen? Riots would break out. Mobs would kick up. Paul, outside of everyone in the New Testament, nobody gets beaten more times than Paul. In fact, many theologians think that Paul, by the end of his ministry, was going blind. And he's, when he referred to the thorn in his side and God not doing anything about the thorn in his side, and many believed that it was because he'd been stoned so many times and beaten so many times that he was literally losing his eyesight. My man had been thrown out of cities. He'd been left for dead. He'd been hit in the face with rocks. He'd been spit on, kicked at, mobs, pitchforks, kill the beast. And yet Paul here is writing a letter to the city of Ephesus. And you know what what has just recently happened? Is a mob has just been kicking him out of the city. He's just been kicked out of the dang city. There's a guy in the city, in a temple in this city, and this temple was to the goddess Artemis. It was renowned. It was a beautiful temple. And there was a guy... His name was, let me make sure I've got it right, I believe it's Demetrius. Demetrius it is. He made his money from making articles of silver for people to take to the temple as they worshipped the goddess Artemis. And as Paul comes into town and is preaching the gospel, and people are becoming Christians, and those who are following false gods are leaving those gods behind and beginning to follow the one true God, guess who's not happy about it? Our friend Demetrius, who's losing money because his business is on the decline. And so what does he do? He stirs up as many people as he can. And he starts a riot in the city. He gets legal, uh, he, gets, he gets the law involved. And Paul, as is oftentimes the case, is mobbed and run out of the dang town. And then, with such grace and humility, he pens a letter to the church of Ephesus, and he reminds them of this, that your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against something else, against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
This is a guy who's taken shots to the face, and he is standing with great courage, and he's saying, that guy is not my enemy. I have another enemy that is at work that I don't see. And he is the one who should get all of my frustration, my praise and worship to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, but my resistance. And if I'm going to fight, this is who I fight. His name is Satan, the devil, and he is scheming against you. And so here's what I want to remind you of this morning. People are never your enemy despite what you see. On the flip side, Satan is always your enemy despite what you don't see. And there are so many times where, where everything inside of you wants to fight against that person. Your ex-wife, your ex-husband, your child, your co-worker, your boss, your neighbor. And I'm here to remind you that person is not and will not and is never your true enemy. Satan is, and he is scheming, and he is working, and he is devious, and he is ugly, and he is a punk. And he would love nothing more than for you to be using all of your energy fighting the wrong fight. People are never your enemy, which is why Jesus could stand on a cross and say, God, forgive them, because they don't even know what they're doing. Why don't they know what they're doing? Because Satan is deceptive. You guys with me this morning? Which means you got to suit up. You got to put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Now, if you're into action hero movies, if you're into superhero flicks, there's something about this that just speaks to that, doesn't it? I think of Wonder Woman. You know, I think of the, her sword. If you haven't seen it, you do need better friends by now. Go out and see that movie. It's phenomenal. The action scenes are amazing. And sometimes I know my tendency I have a feeling it's probably your tendency in our culture, our technologically advanced, logical, we have an answer for everything culture, is to dismiss the idea that there is an enemy lurking and is on the prowl, working behind the scenes in ways that you don't see with your very naked, visible eye. But you do. What I'm also not saying is that there's a devil behind every bush. And that somehow we should tiptoe and be nervous and always have the sword out and be just ready for a fight all the time. You've seen people like that as well. Everything is a spirit. Well, that's a spirit of boredom. I bind you, boredom. No, no. No, that isn't a spirit. 
There's not a devil behind every single thing. We live in a broken world, and sometimes broken things happen. We are not fully redeemed yet by the grace of Jesus Christ. It hasn't been fully realized. But it does not change the reality and fact that Satan is at work. We are instructed to put on the armor of God for a reason. And that reason is simple. We have an enemy working against us, and you and I need protection. We need to know our true enemy, our real enemy. Sometimes when you preach a message like this, it can be potentially confusing because it sounds like, are we saying that Satan hasn't actually been defeated? Yes, he actually has. Jesus Christ purchased our sin. He, purchased, he, he paid the price, excuse me, for our sin on the cross. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He did that for you and he did that for me. He reigns victorious as the Son of God, and he defeated Satan 2,000 years ago. But what's amazing is that you and I still feel the impact of Satan and his minions, so to speak, at work in our lives. Look what Jesus says to Paul. This is after he's died. This is after he's risen from the grave in Acts 26. 17 through 18, he says to Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Even though Satan has been defeated, he still has a measure of power. His influence has not been fully eradicated from this earth. We can get into all the reasons why and the theology behind it. Because God could, in one fell swoop, snap his fingers and he could be gone. But the glory that Jesus receives in people choosing to worship that which is beautiful and leave aside that which is ugly and rotten gives true glory to Jesus Christ. And because that's the case, we see Satan still having a measure of influence and a measure of strength and a measure of power. Because the greatest glory given to Jesus wouldn't be for him to simply strike it all down with a bolt of lightning. The greatest punishment to Satan and the greatest glory given to Jesus are when blind eyes are opened and one can look the devil, your enemy, right in the eyes and say, enough is enough. I'm turning to that which is true and right and beautiful. Jesus Christ. But Jesus says it well. Satan still has, he still has some power. And in our advanced culture, our social media driven this and that and technology for this and that and answers for this and that, we do ourselves a disservice if we never take into account that there is an enemy that you can't see scheming against you. So here's what we're going to do. I am not talking to you this morning. You're going to have to come back next week on what it actually looks like to strap on these pieces of armor to protect yourself. Today is purely about knowing your enemy. There was a movie, if you remember, back in the day called 
sleeping with the enemy. Anybody even remember that? Am I, is that, am I too old for this? Sorry. There's, a, there's like one hand that was raised. I'm not even going to describe it. I'm too ashamed that no one else knows this movie. Satan works in basically three ways. If you're a note taker, now's your chance. Number one, we see, we see Jesus and Satan at work in this, in this relationship. Matthew 4, 1 through 3. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After four, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Do you not love the Bible sometimes? Like, there couldn't be a more obvious statement in any of Scripture. Jesus didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days. He was hungry. <laughs> you got to love it. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, Amy and I, when we first moved to Orlando, we were planting a church there, a high point church in Orlando, Florida. We had a roommate we rented out one of the rooms in our house to somebody in the church. You know, we're on staff at the church, and, and the person that's attending the church, her name was Christine. She says to us one day, she says, you know, I'm really feeling like I need to go on a fast. And I'm, I really just sense the Holy Spirit saying that I should fast for 40 days. Now, when you're on staff at a church, and the person who's not on staff says they're going to start fasting 40 days, you start getting real insecure about your own spirituality. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, she's for real. It was interesting, though, because she described after she had finished what she did for 40 days. Okay? Boss mode right there. She fasts 40 days on basically soup broth and water. Okay. And after it was all done, she said, you know, there were so many times, two weeks in, three weeks in, where I would walk past the kitchen. And Graham or Caroline, I don't even know which, they weren't even in their high chair. They weren't even eating food anymore. But there were just crumbs on the high chair from where they had been eating, like dried out. It's been there Longer than maybe it should have been. Not because we're dirty. We just, we just didn't get to it. She said that it was everything in my power not to reach out and just, just grab crumbs and start sticking them in my mouth. And I never forgot that moment. I've never fasted 40 days. And I've fasted before. But here's what I know. I know every single time there's breakthrough. Every single time God's knocking on the door of my heart for me, to, for me to grow in relationship with him, to do, to experience, to, 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 to know him more, there is also someone knocking on the door, the tempter. And he's simply acknowledging the very single things that, that you and I see. And, and he's saying he's making use of the things around you. He's tempting you. It, it's basically this idea that I need this and I need it now. That is temptation at its heartbeat. I need this and I need it right now. When we talk about the, 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 the temptation that has plagued the world with pornography, those are the words that you hear in your mind. I need this. 
I need instant gratification, and I need it now. You take that temptation and that moment, and you can slap it on any single thing, and you need to understand who is at work and who is whispering and who is arranging the pieces because temptation isn't simply your flesh. Oh, there is someone at work here, and he is plotting, and he is scheming, and he is a punk. And he wants you to think more than anything else that if you are truly going to feel good about yourself, you need this, and you need it right now. The devil has been around a long time. And I hate to, tell, I hate to say this, but he's smart. That's why you feel temptation. Jesus, where did he experience temptation? When he was by himself. And isn't that where we feel it the most too? You're by yourself. Your thoughts are running through your mind. You're looking at yourself in the mirror. You're driving to work. You're in your cubicle and you just feel the temptation. You feel it knocking on the door of your heart. You need to know who's at work. Satan. Number two. So temptation is the first way that Satan works, and he loves to take advantage of you when you're all alone. But there's another way that Satan works. It's where I'm actually going to spend most of the time because here in the Bible Belt, I actually think this is one of our greatest challenges. And that's this idea of accusation. Satan comes in the form of temptation, and he comes in the form of accusation. Revelations 12, Revelation 12, 9 through 10. It says, The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Do you know that you have been accused before the throne room of heaven? You ever think about that? Your worst days and your worst moments, your deepest, darkest secrets, Satan is taking those moments and he is presenting them at, to God Almighty as the accuser of the brethren. But thank God we have somebody who has stepped in on our behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the mediator, who has taken all of our accusation upon himself. And so when Jesus steps in and when God the Father looks to enact punishment on the sin that we have experienced, he only sees one person, his son, who has taken the wrath, the full brunt of God's wrath for our sin. But here's the problem. 
Satan is still an accuser, and Satan still has a measure of power. So guess what he is doing over and over and over again? He's making big-time accusations. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, and this is, I'm not throwing this in there for my own benefit, but it's my paraphrase, be very careful to bring an accusation against a leader in the church. Why? Because bringing accusation is a big deal. The whole idea behind it is you did this, and I'm holding you responsible for it. I am accusing you. And here in the Bible Belt, gosh, so many of us hear the voice of accusation in our own mind. And Satan tells you you're not good enough. You didn't read your Bible enough. You didn't read your Bible enough, therefore you're not a very spiritual Christian. You don't pray enough. Why would God listen to you? You're not a very good husband. You're not a very good wife. You're not a very good son or daughter. You're not a good pastor. I literally dealt with that this morning. It was a morning at my house today. Amy was here early for a meeting, and I was still juggling a couple things on the computer, and it was taking me way too long getting things set for this morning on a couple things, and, and I, have, I have the baby, and I've got Graham, and, and I just begin to feel this, man, what are you doing? You are so not good at your job. You're, you should just quit. You are not called to this. Throw in the towel, which, by the way, I'm not doing. I'm not even mildly close to that. But I sense that, and I feel that. And I know you sense it and feel it as well, where your sense of worth, it's just in the gutter. And what you're not realizing is that the enemy is accusing you. He's pointing fingers at you, and he's saying that the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross is not enough. Therefore, you need to make up the difference. You need to do more. You need to run harder. You need to run faster. You need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. Then you'll be approved by God. False. That is not true. And here's how you see it playing out here in the churchiest areas of the United States is you see this idea, rather than building each other up, accusation comes and begins to put each other down. And so now, because you don't eat like I think you should eat, I'm heaping shame on you as a fellow Christian, as somebody who doesn't know God. Oh, you don't exercise the way that I exercise. And so you begin to feel this this shame culture of accusation of you need to do more to be recognized and approved by God. If you don't eat right, if you don't pray right, if you don't exercise right, if you don't raise your hands during worship, well, then you're not really worshiping. And all of that is a lie. And it is built around Satan working his little scheme 
as I get my little hip bounce in there. He is scheming against you. And you don't see it, but you've got to see it. And then lastly, church, as we bring the plane down for the landing, 2 Corinthians 11.3. This is Paul writing again. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We see Satan working in his in temptation. We see him in accusation. And the last but certainly not least is this idea of deception. If there's anything I spend a lot of time ministering to, it's this idea that the grass is always greener somewhere else for somebody. Marriages where they're splitting apart, I can tell you nine times out of 10, there's this idea that has been lodged into somebody's mind that the grass will be greener or is greener somewhere else. There's this idea, just like when Eve took that apple in the garden and began to take a bite of it, it just, it looked so good, surely. God wouldn't have been holding out on me. And so you have this question that begins to plague your mind and my mind. It's, it's this, I know God is good, but is God best? Does he really know best for me? And we begin to think that there are other things that we can take, that we can experience, that we can taste, that will somehow be better than Jesus Christ in a full, realized, maximized, head-to-your-toes kind of relationship with the Savior of the world. And that's why Paul writes, I'm worried that you're getting deceived, that your devotion to Jesus is being led astray. Because oftentimes when you get duped and when you get deceived and when I get deceived, deceived I'm, I'm replacing my love for Jesus with something else, thinking that the grass will be greener here than it is right here. Single people get trapped into thinking my life will finally start. It will finally be clicking and will finally be right if I just have a spouse, if I'm just married. Married people who find themselves miserable say, if I was just apart, if we were just divorced, my life would be fine and it would just be happy. Granted, I realize there are, there are places for both. Not dismissing that. But in general, we find ourselves getting duped into thinking that'll be easy, that'll be great, the Kool-Aid will really taste good right here. But it doesn't. 
See, Satan is at work, and he would love nothing more than to rob you and your life of the glory that is due God. If he can get you tempted and begin to get you, to, 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 for you to lead you into temptation, that you would give in to it. That you would believe the lies of accusation, that your mind would be clouded with deception. If only he could get you there, he would begin to rob Jesus Christ of the true glory that your life is to give him. In just a moment, we're going to pray. But you might be sitting here thinking, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I know God, I know, I know there are things where Satan is at work here. What do I do? So glad you asked that. We're going to pray right now. But you're going to have to come back next week. Where we really talk about what it means to suit up. To put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against Satan and his schemes. But I've got great news for you, Jesus. Whether you understand how it all works, that, that isn't the issue today. Jesus is still gracious. He is still powerful. And if anyone needs prayer for anything, we serve a God who is good, who is great, and who defeated Satan on the cross. Lest we forget we simply get to appropriate that victory in every single situation and area of our life. Father, be with us today. Lord, we love you and we worship you. God, we, we know that the devil is at work, that he's manipulating and deceiving and tempting and accusing. But God, we stand on what is true today. That Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came to this earth, put on flesh of a man, both fully man and fully God, and lived the life that we couldn't live, who took the price that we were to pay for our sin, and rose again after dying on a cross, rose again victorious over sin and death, and today we stand on that promise in every situation that we have. We anchor ourselves to it right now. Jesus, we love you, and we worship you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.